Hi, this is Pastor Trey Hinkle from Palview Christian Church, and you have tuned in to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. We have been going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount called the Upside Down Kingdom, and right now we're in the middle of a four-week series, it's kind of a sub-series, that is dealing with finances and the resources that the owner of it all, who is God, has given to us, his managers, to uh, manage those resources. And uh, if you've been tuning in for the last couple weeks, this is our third week, and hopefully you've been beginning to understand that this is not about giving to a church. This is about honoring God with all that you have, because it's really His, and you are managing it. And if you have missed any of the other uh, two sermons in this series, I encourage you to go back and listen to those podcasts as well, because it really puts everything into a proper context and a, a good frame to understand it all. Today, we're going to be talking about priorities and actually how to best prioritize those resources that God has entrusted to us as His managers. Uh, see, when it comes to resources, there are essentially five things that you can do with the, the finances, with the money that you have. You could, you could spend that money. You can use the money to repay debt. You can use the money to pay taxes. You can save money or invest it, right? And if there's any left, the fifth thing that you can do is you can give it. You can give it to charitable, uh, charitable organizations. Uh, you can make contributions. You can give it to your church. You can give it to uh, other places. For, for most of us, that's the order. We spend, and then we repay our debt, and then uh, we pay taxes, and then uh, uh, kind of at the end of everything, we kind of save some, and then if there's any left, we can give it to it. That, so, so that means that the way that we have ordered that list, that means that's our priority. How, how most people prioritize their resources looks a little bit like me, spend it. Well, that's about me, right? We're paying my debt. That's about me. Uh, paying taxes. That's about my country. So that's about we. And uh, then if I save some after I do all of those things, that's still about me. And then if I have anything left over, I give it. And so I can actually think about, uh, I do what God wants me to do about it. So that's he. So our priority list looks like me, me, we, me, and then finally at the bottom, he. Now, speaking as a disciple that lives in God's upside-down kingdom, and I'm speaking to, um, I'm presuming, I'm speaking to disciples who live in God's upside-down kingdom, I have a question. When you think about that kind of priority list, me, me, we, me, and then he, does anybody see a problem with that? Because if that is the right way to order things, I, I believe... <laughs> If that's the best way to prioritize resources, then why do so many people who prioritize it like that end up broke, end up just scraping by, end up living paycheck to paycheck, end up getting stressed about finances, end up experiencing broken relationships? You know, when it seems like maybe, just maybe, that way of prioritizing does not really work. <laughs> and you know what they say about doing that same thing over and over and over and over, hoping to get different results? It's called insanity. You know, I, I heard a, an old joke a long, long time ago about a man who was uh, out sunning himself at a hotel pool, reading a book, and uh, there was another man who walked by him and got on the diving board, dove into the pool, uh, came out of the pool and said to the man, I can hardly wait till Thursday. 
And uh, the man kind of ignored him. But then he went back over to the diving board, dove into the pool, climbed out of the pool, looked at the man reading, said, I can hardly wait till Thursday. By now, the, the man who had been reading puts down his book and watches as the man goes back over to the diving board, dives into the pool, comes out, says, I can hardly wait till Thursday. Did it one more time. Goes over to the diving board, dives into the pool, climbs out, says, I can hardly wait till Thursday. And then finally, the man with the book said, um, what's Thursday? And the man who had been diving into the pool says, well, Thursday is the day that they actually fill the pool. You see, that's insanity, doing the same thing over and over and over, hoping that this, this time there's going to be water in the pool. You, you see, if, the, if prioritizing your list as me, me, we, me, and then finally he, if that list works, then those of us who live like that should all be well off with no problems, right? But what's typically the case? What's typically the case? Uh, you, you see, I believe that that's a lie that we have been told. Me, me, we, me, and then he. It, it's a principle of actually humanistic thinking. Uh, are we really acting in uh, an insane way by doing that? Hoping that the lie will one day become truth? As a pastor, I find it very frustrating that in so many cases, disciples of Jesus live with their priorities Order just like this, with God last, until they get into trouble. And then what do they do? Well, then they cry out to God, help me, God. I'm in a financial crisis. I, I need to sell my house. I need a blessing in my life. But after your help, uh, then I'm going to relegate you back to the bottom of the list again. You know, to me, that seems really messed up. Because who's in control in that situation? And even more importantly, what kind of trust in God does that really demonstrate? You, you know, a long, long time ago, I heard the saying, either Jesus is Lord of all, or He isn't Lord at all. I mean, if, if you're only going to trust God when you're in trouble, and then once you're out of trouble, you relegate Him back to the bottom of the list, then He's not Lord. He's not Lord at all. See, the question when it comes to our resources and the way that we manage them and how we acknowledge the Lord in our life is this. Can we trust God? Can we? And if we say that we can trust God, how does that play out practically in our lives? See, there are a few concrete ways of demonstrating that you trust somebody. In just a few days, Jenny and I, my wife and I, are going to get on a flight that is operated by a fledgling airline. I, I won't say its name, but I mean, this just popped up. They just started doing their flights. And for us to actually get on a, one of the you know, very first flights of this fledgling airline, that demonstrates a certain amount of trust, doesn't it? When you stand at the altar, getting ready to, to declare your devotion and love to another person, doesn't that demonstrate a certain level of trust? You know, eating the wife, the, sorry, eating the food, sorry, not eating the wife, that would be very bad. Eating the food that your wife cooked after you made her feel like she was stupid, well, that demonstrates a bit of trust right there. See, there are some concrete ways of demonstrating that you actually trust somebody. You'll get on the plane. You'll dedicate and devote your life to somebody else for the rest of your life. You'll eat the cooking See, God has told us some very practical ways to demonstrate our trust in Him. And it's all about the idea of first 
fruits. If you're taking notes, I, I want you to write that word down, first fruits. Now, what, what, are, what are first fruits? Well, if you go back to uh, the Old Testament, uh, we're going to be in the Old Testament today in a couple different books, but if you go back all the way to the fourth, Genesis, Exodus, Levit- third book of the Bible, Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23, you're, you're going to find um, something pretty amazing here about first fruits. Uh, we're going to pick it up in Leviticus if you have your Bible and you want to read along. It's, it's that third book of the Old Testament. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 23, and we're going to start in verse 9, and we'll read all the way through verse 14. The Lord, Jehovah, said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land, I am going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain that you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord, so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb, a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two-tenths or of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made to the Lord by fire, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hin of wine. And you must not you must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. So the feast of firstfruits in the Old Testament took place at the very beginning of the barley harvest. Now, barley would be, have been the first crop that would have been ready for harvest in the year. And so the beginning of barley harvest was actually the beginning of the whole harvest. Now, barley was a cereal crop, and it was one of the two main grains grown by the Israelites, the other being wheat. And much of their bread was made from barley. So according to God here in Leviticus, the very first sheaf of barley to be harvested, instead of being used for bread, it was taken to the priest, who then waved it in front of that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And in doing so, he was symbolically saying, God, this is yours. Now, this ceremony was completely different from the pagan worship practices, by the way. You you see, the pagans believed in a fertility god as well. Uh, But that fertility god had to be manipulated in order for them to receive a good harvest. And so the pagans, they would practice detestable things like human sacrifice in order to manipulate their god or, or perverse temple prostitution. With Jehovah God, with the God of the Israelites, there was no manipulation. God wasn't saying that he needed perverse rituals in order for him to to move on their behalf. He was going to give them a good harvest. He just wanted the people to remember that it was from him that their provision had come. And he wanted them to do that with a celebration that would happen on an annual basis. Now, secondly, this was also a, a reminder to the people that he was the one who deserved the first of everything, the first portion of everything. The sheaf of barley that was waved in front of the veil, that wasn't just a random sheaf, nor was it picked out after the harvest had been been gathered up for human consumption. In fact, there in that passage that we read, God even said that nobody should even eat or make bread for themselves until that first sheaf was offered to him. The first sheaf 
to be cut. That was God's. And it symbolized then that the whole harvest had not only come from God, but it all belonged to God anyway. Remember, we we looked at Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. See, God put into place this idea of first fruits to remind us of the correct way of prioritizing the list. See, he has first place in this world. He has first place in history. He has first place in everything that we have, everything we are, everything we say or think or do. He is the first on the list. And lastly, I believe that this was done to demonstrate in a very practical way that the people trusted God to continue to give them that harvest and that their needs would always be supplied by the by the God of the universe. Now this morning there are two passages that I want to really focus in on. Passages that if you can memorize and put them into practice, it's going to fundamentally change the way that you manage your resources. Because it's going to help you flip the list, so to speak. It's going to help you reorder your priorities when you think about what your life consists of. And it's going to allow God to do something different in the area of your personal finances. Now, the first passage, if, now, if you've been around for church for any length of time, you have probably heard this passage before. It's in the Old Testament. It's a prophetic book, and it was written by a man named Malachi, or some people call him Malachi, the Italian prophet. <laughs> Not really. Malachi, the last book of the, 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 the minor prophets, the last book of the Old Testament. Um, now, as you're turning to Malachi in your Bibles, last book of the Old Testament, right before Matthew in the New Testament, as, you, as you're going there, I, I want to set up the story for you. You see, Malachi, the prophet, had been called by God to speak against the people, and um, specifically the leadership of the people. Back then, Israel had a sacrificial system where they were supposed to bring the best the best of their flocks, the, the best of their crops, those, the first fruits, the, the first of the harvest, right? But what was happening was that God's people were throwing God bones, if you will. They, they, they were giving Him the leftovers. They, they, were, they were giving Him the cold pizza the next morning, so to speak. There was even a part of Malachi's message that accused the people of bringing things to God that they would not have even eaten themselves. Uh, These were lame animals, blemished animals, uh, and and produce, that that they would have been appalled if they were even to serve to guests. They, They would never serve these things to their guests, but they're giving them to God. So God has Malachi nail these guys to the wall. Uh, If you look at Malachi, again, this is the last book of the Old Testament, right before we get to the the book of Matthew, Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 7, this is what we read. He says, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you, says Jehovah the Lord Almighty. God is saying, return to me. He says, listen, guys, if you return to me, I'll return to you. I would love to move in your direction, says God, but I'm waiting for you to move in my direction. Well, we go on. The, the, The people are almost defensive, and you can hear it in their response. They say, Oh, well, but, but you ask, how are we to return? 
Like, like they haven't even noticed that they've strayed. Well, how are we to return? We, we haven't left you. We, we've done what we're supposed to do. But God takes them up on that defensiveness with a question of his own. Look at the next verse, verse 8. Will a man rob God, and yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? Again, note that defensive nature in their response to God. And God says, in tithes and offerings. Returning to God involves being honest about our dishonesty in the past and our dishonest dealing with God. It's a pretty harsh way, the way that God puts it. He says, you are robbing me. Now, that sounds pretty extreme. Now, how can you put that kind of label on a religious connection? How, how are we robbing God? How are these people robbing God? That's, that's, that's pretty bad. Well, he says, listen, you're, you're robbing me by withholding tithes and offerings. Now, okay, before we go any farther, let's define the word tithe. I've had people all the time tell me that they tithe, let's say, 5% to the, to the church. And I, my response is, no, you don't. And they argue, oh, yeah, 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 we tithe 5%. And then I tell them the problem is that the word tithe actually means 10%. So you, you can't tithe a different number. You can't put a different number on the tithe. You can't tithe 5%. You can give 5%. But you can't tithe 5%, nor can you tithe 50%. See, when you tithe, as God had required of his people in the Old Testament, by the way, when you tithe, you would give 10%. That's what a tithe was. 10% of what you have to the Lord. Now, now here's something that you may never have heard before, but it is absolutely true. If you make a very careful study throughout Scripture, you will see that the tithe was not supposed to be the finish line, the, the, the place that you're supposed to grow to, and then finally, yay, I've arrived. I've been able to give the tithe. See, I, I know people who don't give regularly to the Lord, and then they decide that they will begin to give to the Lord, and, but they see that 10% as this huge thing, like, like the finish line. So they discipline themselves, and they begin with a smaller percentage. They'll start at 2%. And then maybe the, the next year they, they start to go to 3% and then 5%. They, they begin to ramp up to that each year until they can get to that finish line of 10%. And that's very commendable, by the way, when you're not used to giving on a regular basis. It, it's it's uh, disciplining yourself, isn't it, to, to, to make it a habit. And it's a good thing. However, you, you need to understand that when God invited His people to be generous... That tithe was actually the starting line, not the finish line. That's where they started. They started with 10%, giving away 10%. See, there were tithes, giving away 10%, but then there were offerings. And those offerings were above and beyond the tithe. And then there were other responsibilities that God would call His people to. For, for example, uh, God instituted two tithes. The, the, the double tithe, if you will, the first being given to the temple, and then the second 10% to be saved up throughout the entire land through the entire year, and it would be given once a year, and that second tithe would consist mainly of a portion of the remainder of the produce. So the tithe was just the start of generous living and trusting God that God was wanting His people to do.
But now we have a bit of a puzzle because God says that they were robbing him in tithes and offerings. But they said, but we are giving you our sacrifices. We are making our offerings. We are giving you tithes. So how is this robbery? That's the puzzle. They were giving. This was their argument. They were giving. How could they be robbing him? Well, as you continue to read, you'll begin to see that the robbery occurred as they refused they refused to give in the proper way. They refused to give in the way that God had wanted them and had invited them to give. In other words, the first fruits where the first and the best was offered, that was all being ignored. First fruits were being ignored. The priority of God and his kingdom had been rejected. And he says, folks, there are consequences. In verse 9, he says, you are under a curse. The whole nation of you is under a curse because you are robbing me. Now, I, I want to have you keep your finger there in Malachi chapter 3 and go all the way back to the fifth book of the Bible. Man, we're all over the place today, and that's fine. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're not going to read much of it, but we're going to read a, a portion of this, and I want you to understand something here. I'm going to start in, in chapter 20. I'm just going to start reading at the very beginning in, of that chapter. It says, If you fully obey Jehovah, the Lord, your God, and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, Jehovah, your God, will set you high above all nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey Jehovah, the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city. You will be blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Jehovah, the Lord, will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. And they will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. Jehovah, the Lord, will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. Jehovah, your God, will bless you in the land that he is giving you. Jehovah, the Lord, will establish you as his holy people, as he promised you on oath if you keep the commandments of Jehovah, your God, and walk in his ways. And then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of Jehovah, and that they will fear you. The, the Lord, Jehovah, will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, and the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, in the land that he swore to your forefathers to give you. Jehovah will open up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. Jehovah the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of Jehovah your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of these commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Folks, I am not a health and wealth uh, preacher that says, you know, God just wants to, to make you rich beyond your, your wildest imaginations. But I will tell you this, that passage that I just read tells us that there are great blessings. 
that will come our way when we prioritize the commands of God. Now, I can't tell you what those blessings are going to look like because they look different from situation to situation. Sometimes it may be financial. Sometimes it may just be peace in your finances. No more anxiety. Maybe it's giving you wisdom on how to actually reorder your life. And in doing so, there's actually peace and a joy that you have. There's the ability to be generous. All of these are great blessings that God will give to those who follow His commands. You know, you begin to follow God's rules from the Old Testament. If you start to look at Jesus' rules in the New Testament, you're going to find that relationships are actually more fulfilling and way healthier. You're going to find stress levels seem to subside. You're going to find that you'll manage your resources better, wiser. You're going to find that there's room in your life for peace and joyful generosity. But on the flip side, If you read the very next verse, you're going to see something that should make you sit up and take notice. Because verse 15 says, However, if you do not obey Jehovah, the Lord your God, and do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And I could read on and on and on, but it's essentially just a reversal of all the blessings that had been promised in those 14 verses that I read. Bottom line, in Malachi, going back to Malachi chapter 3, here was God's people, but they were not trusting Him and His ways. They were not following His commands, they, especially when it came to their sacrifices. Yes, they were bringing their sacrifices, but they were essentially not bringing their first fruits. They were bringing their leftovers. Why? Because ultimately they did not want to trust God. So if you go back to Malachi, after the indictment, God gives the people a way to avoid that curse. He reminds them that there is a different and a better way. He says, listen, tell you what. He says, why don't you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse? Which tells me that they were not bringing the full whole tithe into the storehouse. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Next week, we're going to actually look at a parable that Jesus told about a man who actually had so much blessing that he did not have room enough for it. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that situation or what, what are we supposed to do in that kind of situation. But again, right here, God is saying, listen, if you're moving, if you move in my direction, if you trust me, if you trust me and do what I've asked you to do, if you move in my direction, I'm going to move in yours. If you prioritize my kingdom, God says, guess what? All that you will need will be provided. That's just what a wise and economically sound-minded king would do, you know? If his subjects would just prioritize his kingdom, he's going to take care of those subjects. And it's not just a way to help those who may not have what they need to survive. It's a practical way of showing that you really do trust in the Lord. And here, by the way, in a bizarre twist, here's one of those times that God says that we can actually test him to see if he is going to be faithful in this. See, he wants us to know that he is faithful. 
that he is trustworthy, that we can trust in him. He says, watch me, test me, put me, put me first, and just watch what I will do for you. You see, we have such an amazing God. He, he's, he doesn't want us to, to, to give him human sacrifices. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't need to be manipulated. He wants to give blessings so that those who don't know him will see the blessings that those who do know him have and that they will want to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, listen, I can be trusted. I'm faithful. Now just put me to the test. Put me first. See what I will do. Now, I get it. A lot of you may be cynical because you've seen the abuses of certain ministries and certain churches. And so you might be thinking, well, see, there, you just want my money. It, it, it just comes down to you want my money. And I would tell you, actually, no, you're wrong because it's not about money. It's about your priorities. God has always said to his people, I get to be first. I get to be number one. Why? Why not? He deserves it, don't you think? And uh, maybe that's a bad question to, to ask because if you look at how you're prioritizing your life now, maybe you don't think he does deserve it. And that answer might make you ashamed and embarrassed. So, so that's the first passage to keep in your heart, Malachi 3. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Like I had promised you back in Deuteronomy, I will do that. I'll pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. The, the second passage that I want to give to you before we finish this podcast today is found in the Sermon on the Mount. Huh, fancy that. Now we're going back to Matthew chapter 6. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, the first book of, of the New Testament, there are Matthew and his gospel. We're right there in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says, But seek... And what's that word? But seek first. Not last, not next to last, not third, but seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. And guess what? All these things will be given to you as well. Do you see how what Jesus says there in the Sermon on the Mount just echoes what God has always said to his people? See, here's my point today. If we trust God, we will be obedient to his word. And when it comes to the prioritizing of the resources that he has given us to manage, many of us need to show that trust. We, we need to trust him enough that we're willing to flip our list. God has said, listen, the best way to manage all of these resources that I've given to you is to flip the list, making him and his kingdom, all of those things that are eternal and that will pierce into the darkness, make those things the priority. Make those things first. So instead of ordering it, me, me, we, me, and then he, the way this looks, the way that God designed it is give, which is he. Then save, which is me, but it is being wise about what I have and putting some things away for later because God is not against future planning. First is he, then is me by saving, and then we, I pay my taxes and I pay off my debt, and then I learn to live on the rest. So practical, practically speaking, let's say you bring home 
oh, I don't know, $60,000. And if you give to God first, and if you save a portion of that first, and if you can learn then to live not on a $60,000 a year salary, but if you can learn to live on, let's say, a $48,000 a year salary, I promise you this, if you can, if you can learn to live there at that 48000 level instead of the 60000 but but I'm making 60000 you might say. Okay, but let's just, let's just get it into your mind. Let's rethink, let's recalibrate our thinking to say, no, I'm actually living on $48,000. Then God says, listen, you'll learn how to manage that $48,000 a whole lot better. And there's going to be a whole lot more peace in the end once you get this uh, settled that you give and that you save and that you live on the rest. Some people even call it the 10-10-80 plan, where you give 10 away, you save 10, and you then learn to live on 80% of your income. And by the way, that's not even just believers who say that. There are financial managers that are secular that I have seen on TV talk about the 10-10-80 plan. Now, they may not talk about 10% giving to the Lord, but they say give 10 away. Give 10 away, save 10, and then learn how to live on that 80. And how do you do that? Well, you get rid of the discontentment that we talked about last week. Do you see how all of this stuff is tied in together? See, it's not about giving money to a church or any other charitable organizations. It's not a ploy. In fact, seriously, seriously, if you don't believe me, I still want you to test God. Don't test me. You, you, know, you don't have to trust me, but you need to trust God. Take your first fruits, whatever that is going to be, whether it's the tithe or whether it's maybe you start out with a smaller percentage of that to give. But if you give your first fruits and you don't want to give it to Palview Christian Church, I'm okay with that, actually, because I believe that God's going to provide the needs of this congregation. Okay. If you don't trust me, if you think this is a ploy to get money into the church, then you take your first fruits and give it to another church. Try it. Try it for a year. Try it for six months. Give to another mission. Give to a KMI. Give to an agent of God's kingdom somewhere. Because it's not Pastor Trey telling you this. It's God telling you this. I'm actually okay with you not trusting me. Although my heart is that you would be able to trust me as I bring to you the message of God. But I really, my prayer is that you would learn to be trusting in the faithfulness of God. Because it's not about money. It's about your heart. It's about your priorities. I pray to God that you can see it's about your priorities. Who is first place in your life? And what in your life can demonstrate that? What's the evidence that that is true? You see, the practice of first fruits is such an amazing demonstration of trust. And because of that, Flipping the list, putting the kingdom of God first, priority-wise, is an incredibly powerful thing to do, mostly because you have invited God to do miracles in your life. You will release God's power in your life to provide for you in a way that you have never, ever seen before if you've never done this. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a great story about a widow who was, she said, listen, I, I don't have very much at all. Um, I, I have enough oil to, to make a small meal for myself, myself and my kiddo, and then we're going to die. But the man of God, the prophet of God says, listen, why don't you make uh, some bread for me, and then I'll help you. And so she trusted the prophet of God so much so that she made him that bread, and then 
the, the, the prophet of God says, I need you to now go and get a bunch of jars because she only had a little bit of oil left. And, and he says, you, you bring those jars. You go out to your friends and your, 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 your neighbors and you ask them for all these jars. And so she began to bring, she and her, her, her kiddo began to bring jars and, and they just kept filling up the place with jars. And then she began to pour the oil, the little vial of oil. She began to pour the oil out into these jars. And there was something miraculous that happened. Every single one of those jars were full of olive oil by the end of the, by the, end of the, the event. God had provided for her. She was able to then live on that oil. She was able to sell that oil. She was able to have enough to live on. Did she make Fortune 500? No, because that's not the promise. The promise is not that God's going to make us billionaires. It says that God's going to provide for our needs, and, and He's going to be faithful in that, and that's exactly what He was. Now, would you be willing to think through this in this next week? Discuss it maybe with your partner, with your spouse, and work through it. I, I know it's not an easy decision. I know it can't be even a quick decision. But I believe that you can work your way there. And if you do, if you can begin to put a very real, very practical trust in God and in His provision and care in your life, He's going to say, because you remembered my faithfulness, I'm going to provide. You moved in my direction. I'm going to move in your direction and folks, I hope that you understand that in that promise, there's an amazing peace. There, there it will be margin to be faithful to God's leading then, to be generous. And that's what we're going to be talking about next, uh, next week. You're going to have miracle stories to relate to those around you. And ultimately, you're going to take hold of life that is truly life, as we read last week in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But you've got to make up your mind. Are you going to trust God? Are you going to honor Him? And are you going to finally flip that list. All right. It's been uh, good to share this stuff with you. Uh, I hope that uh, you uh, decide to uh, trust God and step out on this. Uh, and, and we'll be praying for all of those who, who are uh, making this commitment. I, I do want to thank all of the people that make this podcast possible for my executive producer, Lisa Welly. I'm grateful for her and her work, for uh, Steve Pittman, who uh, puts all of this stuff together so that we might have streaming. Uh, remember, you can always go on YouTube, uh, search Powell Butte Christian Church, and uh, find us uh, there streaming our morning services on Sunday morning at 8.30 and at 10.30. Uh, soon in the summer, we'll only have the 8.30 and hopefully uh, soon the 11.30 service, our traditional hymn uh, sing service, and uh, that will be available to you as well. And uh, you are always welcome to drop on by on campus. We have an open campus, and uh, people are coming back from the uh, COVID stuff, and uh, we're having just a great time here. And so you're, you're welcome to join us at 8.30, at 10.30, 11.30. Uh, we have a cowboy church on Saturday night over in our historic chapel building at 7 o'clock. You can be a part of that if that's something that uh, uh, would interest you. Anyways, and I would love to, to meet you if you ever uh, do swing by after hearing this. And uh, with that, may God bless you greatly this, this week as you learn to trust Him more and more in His faithfulness. And we'll talk to you next week.